It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. Today's guest is Rishi Kumar, otherwise known as Farmer Rishi. He's a small-scale farmer, sustainability educator, and consultant. Rishi created the Sarvodaya Institute, formerly the Growing Club, an L.A.-based urban farm and nursery that aims to bring communities together to nourish our common well-being and our planet, which is fabulous. He also teaches regenerative gardening courses with Kiss the Ground. Thanks for being here with me, Rishi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited because we always, we, it's funny because we both live in Los Angeles, but we only ever see each other at the Heirloom Expo, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> which yeah. is like 500 miles north of here. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty funny. Um, but, no, I think we have a lot to catch up on because you've been up to a lot lately. Let's start with your gardens, plural. Yeah, uh, sure. You have the growing home, mm -hmm. which is where it all started, right? Yeah, that's where it all started. That's my, uh, that's the garden at my parents' house, which I started working on uh, while I was in college, while I was in my undergrad. Mm -hmm. And it's the garden that I've spent, you know, the most time with and learning from and uh, probably the place I feel most connected to yeah you know? your hands are in that soil forever huh? yeah 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 what yeah. is it what's going on there these days what does it look like what's growing there um i it's it is a an ever expanding ever like it's just a it's pretty much a jungle at this point <laughs> i mean you a lot of people when they when they come over they'll walk in the back especially the backyard i feel like they'll go in the back and be like where are we <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like los angeles yeah no it doesn't it's kind of you know some people say it feels like costa rica or thailand or something but yeah it's uh we have we just did a count actually we have uh something like 84 fruiting trees and vines and shrubs and wow and how big is the property The the lot is ten thousand square feet. Okay, and, that's decent. Uh, yeah, it's it's a decent sized lot. Yeah. And uh, the amount of actual like open space, like ground space, is five thousand square feet. Okay. And so, what kind of trees do you have growing there? Oh my god! What like, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, we have you know I, I have to like visually go through it in sure. my mind, but it's like uh, we have oranges. I have papas. I have this fruit from India called jamun. I have cherimoya. A couple pomegranates. They have ten or twelve papayas. Dragon fruit. I have seven or eight types of dragon fruit. We have six or seven types of bananas, uh, guavas, wow. blood oranges, sugarcane, macadamia nuts, persimmons, sweet limes, mangoes, white sapotes, jujubes. Uh, wow, you could, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you could absolutely get lost in there. So I'm just curious with all this unusual, you know, these are, these are considered exotic fruits, I guess, yeah. but they grow well in our in tropical and our dry, even our dry climates. Yeah, because you're that's in Diamond Bar, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're pretty we're pretty inland, mm -hmm. um, and so we get, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't know like that they can grow so many different types of uh, fruits in Los Angeles, and basically as long as you don't get like hard frosts you know so like there's some pockets like if you're in the valley of some area like uh and actually where my where my farm is we're not able to grow any of the tropicals but ah. right just the city next oh you know the city next door mm -hmm. diamond bar we're able to grow all of this oh, okay yeah 
Yeah, I love that we can grow bananas in certain parts of the of of Los Angeles, and yeah. I've seen them growing along the coast too, which is kind of crazy, but yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, very yeah. very cool. Yeah, as long as you don't get the frost and you get a good amount of heat, you know. Yeah, you're you're okay. Very cool. Now you're very active on Instagram, and you show a lot of footage from Sarvodaya Farm and Nursery. Yeah, um, and the Growing Commons. Can you break those down for us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. You know, I started the garden at my parents uh, around 2009. Then uh, our non, then you know, started established this nonprofit, Sarvodi Institute. We expanded to a farm, which is a half-acre property that uh, that I own in Pomona, which is the city next door to my the city next to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, for a couple of years, we ran a organic vegetable CSA. Yeah. Yeah. How'd that go? <laughs> uh, it was, it went, I mean, it went, it was a very, it was a huge learning experience and it went really well while it was going. And then it just got to be like overwhelming after, after a little while. And, yeah. It's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a crazy amount of work. Um, I, yeah, I don't really recommend getting into the business of growing and selling vegetables it's it's very difficult yeah i feel like people have no idea how much you actually have to grow in order to fulfill those needs yeah 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 it was it was crazy so we we ran the csa there we also did a farmer training program there that eventually had uh like 40 or 45 graduates and now the space is we're still trying to figure out like what the space is going to end up being uh, but right now we have a nursery there, so we're growing a lot of we're growing out a lot of the tropicals and rare plants that we have at my parents uh, and others um, in that nursery. We're also growing a lot of perennial vegetables, a lot of medicinal herbs, like just plants that I I like and I think other other people would appreciate. You know. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you more about that in a minute. <laughs> uh, but so what what is Sarvodaya, and I know I'm saying this completely wrong, Sarvodaya. It's Sarvodaya. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Sarvodaya Farms, what does that look like? Uh, okay, so there's a, you know, there's a house in the front, and then you go behind the house, and that's where we have the, the nursery set up, and then behind the nursery, we that's where we have the vegetable farm area. So okay. we have 28 beds that are three feet by 40 feet. Wow. Um, so it's you know it's a considerable amount of space, and then we have uh, we have a stone fruit orchard in the, all the way in the back. It's kind of like a long skinny mm-hmm. lot. Um, actually, kind of interesting because the property you know the house was built in 1927, mm-hmm. and in Pomona. If you look at the way that a lot of the properties were developed, they were all these half-acre type, long, skinny lots. And which I found out, you know, after reading um, Rachel Searle's book *From Cows to Concrete*. Yes. You know. Yeah, Judy and uh, Judy uh, yeah. Gilbert and Rachel Searles. I'm going to be. I just I interviewed Judy, and I'm going to be interviewing Rachel soon. Oh, so, okay. yeah, *From Cows to Concrete*. It's yeah. a great book. Yeah, really good book. Um, and you know, I was reading that and I was, I was learning about these homestead lots you yeah. know, that were advertised to East coasters to come over to California and grow, you know, citrus or have crocodiles. Or like right. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it was crazy because you don't think of Los Angeles as an agricultural center, yeah. but we were. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's on one of these uh, urban homestead lots, you know. Nice. Um, you know, it's interesting to kind of go back to that, but also like feel the pressure of the development happening around this, that area. Especially when sun is really important. I remember you at one point were asking people to help solve a problem where you had uh, a building possibly being developed next door. So yeah. Was, was that at the growing home? Or no, was that, that was at the that farm. Was at the farm. Yeah, so there was a, a development um, which is still in plan, oh. um, but it was a, a townhome development right you know, on our south exposure. Oh, no. Um, so we ended up getting into kind of a, I don't know, like a legal city a battle. Legal with battle? <laughs> <laughs> And we actually forced some changes on them that opened up the that kept the sun open for us. Oh, good. And then they, I don't know, they haven't built yet, so okay. <laughs> it's wow. been like three, four years. Well, it's nice to know that you could influence the decision and not, you know, yeah. at least a little in there. Yeah. Because that's really important. I think urban gardening relies on what sun there is. And I, we just took a tour of your balcony here at your apartment and it, the, you get like a half hour to an hour and a half of sun <laughs> yeah. and you do what you can. And so yeah. everybody's trying to fight for the sunshine. So yeah. I know in my neighborhood, they're putting up giant McMansions, tearing down these one story ranch houses and yes. putting up these giant houses. And yeah. I know as soon as that happens yeah. next door to me, I'm toast. <laughs> toast. So it really felt for you when that, when your uh, cry for help was going out there. Yeah, it was a difficult period. And so the growing commons, how, what's that look like? Yeah, so that is our, so we kind of structured this in a way that we have, you know, these three different gardens all demonstrating different ways that gardening can fit into the urban fabric mm -hmm. so you know my parents house is the suburban home and showing like how much you can ha how big of a garden you can have at home and all the different foods that you can grow for yourself then the farm was more of that community scale type garden where you know there we have we're having events and we're having we're doing teaching and we're growing produce for sale and then the the growing commons was our third project and that was uh, that one is actually at a church. Oh. And so they, the, the church wanted, they had 7,500 square feet of lawn. And they wanted to bring their landscape in line with their values as a community. And their nice. values as a community were, it's, a, it's actually a Quaker, uh, Quaker meeting. Oh, okay. So, you know, they're very uh, concerned about the environment. They want to contribute to the community in some way. So uh, they got in touch with us and they asked us to take on this project of uh, converting their lawn. Mm -hmm. So luckily it worked out at that time. The lawn rebate was happening as well. Yes. So we were able to get the lawn rebate money. We implemented this garden, which demonstrated a lot of what you know we would like what we encourage people to do in their yards or specifically this is like for a public landscape you right. know uh, so something that's on the street and people are walking through so what kind of techniques are you demonstrating there yeah so we did like we did a major uh lasagna mulching mm -hmm. so we covered we covered the entire lawn with cardboard and horse stable bedding and wood chips and compost uh we installed like 200 feet of swales to to harvest water from the from the rooftop of the the church building 
Nice. Um, then we planted 65 fruit trees. Wow, that's a lot of fruit trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and all plants, all trees that are uh, kind of drought tolerant, low maintenance, um, and also fruits that, you know, people love. So we have tangerines and we have white sapotes, we have pomegranates, we have figs, we have fuyu persimmons, uh, we have pineapple guavas, and jujubes. Nice. And jujubes. And, and actually I'm going to be planting some mangoes there this weekend. Oh, really? So how big, because <laughs> I've seen... I've seen a productive mango tree here in in town, and it was enormous. How big do you expect your mango trees to get? Uh, I'm not sure. So we've had we have one mango tree at my parents that is uh, 30 years old, and we've kept it at about like a 12 foot height. Oh, okay, that's reasonable. Yeah, and but then we planted a bunch more recently, and. Uh, the one that we really like, that one's like already 25 feet or something. So Yeah, word to the wise <laughs> listeners, mangoes get big. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you can you can trim them right. and keep them to size. If you know, take a pruning class or yeah. two and yeah. then you know you can keep it to a smaller yeah. height. That's nice. Yeah. And so, so the, how does the community get involved at the Growing Commons? So we uh, we we do have some events there throughout the year. Like this year, we're right this weekend. We're having a workshop there. Well, this weekend as we're recording. Right. So we're recording this. What is November fifteenth? Is no, it's the twentieth. Twentieth. November. Yeah. So this is November twentieth that we're recording this. So you'll have missed this, listeners, by the time you hear this. But there will be others. Yeah. yeah. The, so we have workshops there. Um, and, and it's just, um, you know, it's, it's totally open. Like there's no fence. You can just kind of, I encourage people to just go and visit and kind of walk through. It's a nice place to have a picnic. And where is it located? It's in Claremont. The address. Claremont. <laughs> it's so hot out there. But it's nicely shaded. We have, uh, there's like 20 really big palm trees that kind of give give a nice light shade throughout the oh, that's nice. throughout the year. And your and your crops, you the the trees you planted they didn't fry in the summer in the hundred and seventeen degree heat. I lost uh yeah, that was last year I yeah. lost two persimmon trees. Oh. And I lost uh I lost the entire crop of grapes that that year. year. Did they just shrivel up? Yeah, they were like they're probably three quarters <laughs> of the way along. Oh. And I probably had like sixty or seventy pounds of grapes on there, oh, and just all over. Oh, just that one day, I just went the next day, and they were just gone. Yeah. You know? Oh man, so yeah. sad. But this year we got uh, we have Concord grapes planted there, and this year we got like a hundred pounds. Okay, and so what, I'm sorry, back to the events that you're going to be having there. <laughs> I, I just go off on tangents really easily on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we just, we just, we're having a workshop there. We're going to be just kind of going over some of the ideas behind the garden and also uh, just getting people comfortable with working in the garden. So there's a few different things we want to do, like we're going to be planting some more natives. That's another part of the garden. We have a lot of natives planted in the understory of the of the trees so we're planting 50 more native perennials this year we're going to be spreading wildflower seeds uh we're going to be giving compost to the trees we're going to do a little bit of pruning mm -hmm. we're planting the mango trees it's just like a general you know 
here are some of the things that you would do in winter in your garden workshop. Right, in warm winter climates. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we're lucky in that way, uh, yeah. we have those warm winter climates where we, we are, we're really active gardeners in the winter. Because that's when things, that's our cool season. Yeah. So that's when you put stuff in the ground. Yeah. Our, our dormant season is July, August. August, September, <laughs> October. So that's our dead zone where yeah. just nothing will grow. Yeah. And you don't want to plant anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to switch gears to your nursery. Um, I love that you sell some really exotic items there like moringa and tulsi and purple guava. But I have, you mentioned earlier, you said jamun. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> so this is jamun is a is a fruit that is native to the northwest of India and Pakistan area, uh-huh. and it's a a very tall tree. I mean, ma, the, oh, we just had we just pruned ours back heavily, but it was because it was like forty. It was getting like forty feet. Oh wow! So I took it down to like fifteen feet, mm-hmm. um, and it makes a. A small black fruit, kind of the size of like a big olive, and okay. it looks looks kind of like olive, black uh-huh. olive, and it's the flesh is kind of like a plum. It's got one seed in the middle, but it has the, a very unique taste that I. It's you know not a flavor that <laughs> I think most Americans would appreciate. It's, it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste, yeah. So it's it's sweet it's sour but the final taste is astringency so it kind of makes like your mouth yeah. dry out got you it know? so what do you use it for we eat it i mean we eat just it straight we just eat it straight a lot of people eat it with salt oh um like like kind of coarse rock salt huh. and uh the tree is considered also very medicinal so people the leaves are used as medicine the bark, the roots, the fruit itself uh, is said to be good for like diabetes or like blood diseases. Oh, okay. Um, but we just we just eat it. We can't really eat as much. I mean, it produces. It's it's a, at least ours is a pretty heavy producer, so we don't. You know, I'm not even able to pick all of it. Um, Do but, the birds like them? No. No. <laughs> funny thing. Okay. Funny you mention that. Uh, when we, we were keep we had chickens at the at the house before uh-huh. and like I let them out one year I let them out of the coop and they were like roaming around under the jamun tree and there was all these you know they'll during that season they'll just be like hundreds of these fruits on the ground mm-hmm. kind of like when you see an olive tree and like yeah you know they started eating the the dried up ones and then the fruit has like a like a dark purple flesh mm-hmm. and so they're eating it and then. Uh, they, you know, they like some of them had gotten over to the concrete and they were pooping on the concrete, <laughs> and their poop was like a bright blue. <laughs> so it seemed like they had digested like the red part, just part of, of the it. purple, uh-huh. and just <laughs> left, left the blue. blue. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it was so, interesting. Interesting, interesting. And there's another thing on your website that I don't even know if I'm gonna say right. Is it Beringraj? Bringraj. Bringraj. Yeah. This is a Ayurvedic herb used for uh, hair loss. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So they make a, there's a, a medicinal oil you'd make out of that and then apply it to your scalp. Oh, so it's not taken internally. I think it is also, but that is the, that's what I've seen it used okay. for more. Yeah. I like to, you know, I'm kind of like, I like to collect some of these medicinal herbs. So I have Bringraj. I have, uh, the two types of brahmi, which are like supposed to be for your mental well-being, so 
Uh, one is Gotukolo, the other one is called B- is the Bacopa Monieri, which is actually growing in my pond out here in my apartment. Oh, is that what's out there? I have a picture of that. We'll post it on the website. Yeah. <laughs> and the Tulsis, and uh, I think that's from... Oh, and I have Ashwagandha as well. Yeah, I saw that. And so you've got some other things. You've got the the exotic fruits like the purple guava and thornless nopales or yeah. the spineless nopales. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I'm I'm really I you know I'm trying to grow. So the the three things I focus on the medicinal herbs, the perennial vegetables because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of home gardeners, you know, where people want to grow what they've been used to eating from the grocery store, but. There's a lot of other plants that we can grow that give us food a lot more easily. Like tree kale. Yeah, like the tree kale, uh, tree collard, purple tree collard, the thornless nopales. So it's like, it's thornless, but it's not splinterless. Oh, okay. Good to know. (laughs) Still wear gloves. Still wear gloves, um, but you just just cut off the pads and you, if you have a gas burner, you Mm. just just uh put it on the open flame and the the splinters will just burn off oh cool and then you nice just trick. saute it a little bit you know and it's ready to eat yeah and it's it's really i i really like that actually it's got a very mild flavor compared to like the regular nopales oh uh, so it tastes different it tastes different oh, yeah very cool different. yeah and and uh they grow like crazy so they grow like crazy you could you know if you don't water them they'll just stay there <laughs> if you do water them they'll grow a little faster uh so we have we have those that have uh chaya or mexican tree spinach uh-huh. so that is uh native to mexico grows like uh kind of like plumeria almost you just mm-hmm. take cuttings of this you know these kind of watery sticks stick them in the ground and then it just grows it grows into a small tree. You can eat all the leaves. Moringa also, you know. Yeah, and you have dragon fruit too. I have dragon fruit. Uh, dragon fruit is one of my my new favorite things to grow. I love it. And yeah. I have some cuttings at home that I'm trying to root right now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're just turning yellow. And I'm, I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. Because I know you're not supposed to water them too much, but they like a little bit more water than regular cactus yeah, type yeah, things. Yeah. What's the magic trick? Do you know? You just, um, well, one, when you take the cuttings, you want to let them scar up just like any succulent or cactus. Uh-huh. Then uh, I just make like a, a really well-draining uh, potting mix. So I kind of use the same potting mix for most things, actually, which is just one-third compost, one-third perlite, one-third cocoa, uh, cocoa fiber. And I do all my dragon fruit in that. Okay. And then it should root pretty easily. <laughs> How, uh, about how long does it take for your cuttings to root? Not that long, like maybe a month or okay. so. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to test my... I haven't pulled up on them yet to see if they've started. Just just as long as you... You know, once you start seeing new growth, yeah. it's kind of a good sign. All right. Well, yeah. I'm holding on. <laughs> I'm holding on. Uh, there's one more thing I want to ask you about because you're, you have walking onions, and I'm surprised because I didn't think... I've always relegated them kind of written them off to the deep south where it's <laughs> wet and humid can we actually grow walking onions yeah 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 we we grew those for our csa and, uh, and for sorry for and for those who uh, don't know what they are can you describe them sure walking onion um kind of similar i would say to uh green onion mm-hmm. in how in like terms of how it looks and how you would use it in the kitchen you just plant one of these and then over the course of the season First, it will, it'll divide. So, you know, from the one 
scallion type thing you plant, you'll get like six or seven. Oh. Then at the end of this, so around now, around winter time, it'll set up like a like a flower type, you know, thing. Right. Except instead of a flower on the top of there, there's usually like three or four small bulbs and this is the part where the walking comes in yes i love this part. so you know you have this kind of these heavy uh little onion bulbules on the top of the plant and this is this is the part that's never happened for me so so they're supposed to fall over under their own weight and kind of plant themselves back in the garden and so year we're year over year (laughs) they're kind of walking through the garden that has never happened. For me, they've always just sat on the top, <laughs> and I have to pick them off. And then drop them somewhere else. And then put them in somewhere else. Assisted walking. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, but, I think that's very exciting. Yeah, and I, I, I find that just even the fact that it divides, like, yeah. you know, you have, you just keep pulling off the sides and keep eating. So it's like a perennial vegetable. Yeah. And then it just keeps reproducing itself. It keeps reproducing itself. That's the smart thing. It's the permaculture way. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the perennial vegetables will survive elements better, you know, the the harsh elements better. So, and then you don't have to water them as frequently because they have deeper roots. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now you recently taught your first course on regenerative gardening through Kiss the Ground. Yes. What principles do you cover in that course? So that course is, it's really for, uh, you know, the home gardener. It's going beyond like what a lot of people have seen from maybe permaculture or like sustainable gardening or organic gardening. Like it gets a little bit philosophic, philosophical, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea behind the course has really been to uh, help people understand the role that they can play through soil and plants and gardens in reversing climate change. Yeah. But beyond that, like for me, the course is about helping us see... I feel like the, a garden is like a really raw place where we don't have a lot of the layers of, I don't know, just structures that we've put between ourselves and the earth. And it's like this place where you can really find a very grounded connection and see things as they are. So we kind of explore, you know, some of the ideas that we have grown up with in our culture and our society that aren't helpful for us in addressing, not only in addressing climate change, but in addressing ourselves and how we care for ourselves and how we treat ourselves and how we connect with other people mm-hmm. so it's uh yeah like the gardening is in the title right. just to like get people in, in then it's <laughs> yeah. a lot it goes a lot deeper than that i'm gonna ask you a for instance a for instance sure. yeah yeah uh the one that i i like to use the most is or the one i mentioned the most is is this idea of waste Mm-hmm. Um, so the LA Food Policy Council, they had posted this thing on Instagram and they said, what's the, what are the things you do to reduce your, your food waste? And I, you know, I responded to them and I was like, I stopped calling it waste. It's not waste. Yeah. yeah. I stopped calling. I just, I've removed the con or I'm trying to remove the concept of waste from my vocabulary and from my mind because everything you know, nothing is waste. Like nothing, just because you know we eat this pomegranate and then there's the peel left over. Like that's not waste. That's that's the gift of the pomegranate for the soil. Like yep. you ate the gift, the you know the part that's for you, the gift for you. But 
the the remainder is the gift for the soil and as long as we keep you know when we start changing our language from okay this is way you know throw this waste away get rid of this waste and and beyond like waste of food you know we have we think like people are waste Mm -hmm. we think that we waste our time like so seeing that everything is a gift and it's in its in some form and then instead of asking how do i get rid of this waste how ask yourself who is this gift for you know and kind of that really helps reorient if you're going through a difficult situation might be like oh this is like why why is this happening like realize that that difficult situation is a gift in some form and figure out what you need to learn from it or what you need to do with it yeah I think we as a, as a species we do have to reframe how we think of our connection to nature and there's a lot going on with the uh, another group I belong to called the Pachamama Alliance. They really see this idea that uh, we think we're separate from nature. They see that as an illness. It's yeah. a disease that we need to get over. Yeah. <laughs> we need to yeah. heal ourselves from. Yeah. Which segues me perfectly into my <laughs> next question for you about the healing gardens. You are starting a new endeavor yeah. of creating or uh, establishing a network of gardens where people can heal themselves. How does that work? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's a new kind of business uh, community venture. Uh, start, I've started with a friend of mine. And, you know, in this whole, uh, the last 10 years I've spent in this urban gardening world, I have been trying to figure out, you know, what, I guess recently I started to ask myself the question, like, what is the point of urban gardening? Like, what is the point of urban farming? I think for a long time and for a long time for me and what I see a lot in the community is that there's a lot of the the idea that a lot of people have is that urban gardening is all about food mm-hmm. and food access and you know nutrient rich food and all this stuff and I've really like through my own journey like have really really started to question that and then it took me a while to figure out like what what is it that I've been actually doing like why have I been doing it what has been the purpose of it for me? Like, what am I trying to share? Kind of through a long process, difficult process, I, you know, came to the conclusion that the reason that I garden, the reason that I, you know, I do all this work, that I've committed myself to this, has been that I was looking for healing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I was looking for healing from a lot of the ideas that I was brought up with, that I was taught in school, that, like, society teaches us. And that's really what people come to these gardens looking for. Yeah. You know, like, people just want to, like, I, you know, anytime we have an event, like, people just want to stay and, like, hang out there. They don't want to leave. They don't want (laughs) to leave. Like, they see something in these gardens that they can't find anywhere else, Mm -hmm. especially in the city. Uh, And I even think in, I feel like in rural areas, too, like, you know, with the way that agriculture has gone, like, there's not a lot of... It's not, it's not gardening. It's not gardening. (laughs) It's monocropping. Yeah. There's, like, this lack of spaces where you can feel your connection, your role, your place, where you can actually see, you know, the processes of the earth working, Mm -hmm. you know, like, compost is just, like, the best, you know, like... The most awesome process in the world. (laughs) Exactly. So I feel like every healing garden needs to have, like, compost that people can contribute to. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, so coming back, coming back to the actual idea. As we wax rhapsodic about composting. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is that we are trying to create a network of gardens and gardeners in urban areas uh, where people can come to these gardens and use them for, we're calling them instead of activities, we're using this word restivity. Oh, I like that. So you can come and do a restivity in the garden. So you could, you know, you can come, you can, you'd basically be able to book time to sit, maybe go to your garden and do an hour of meditation, do an hour of yoga, do some journaling, like take a nap, you oh, know, like wow. whatever. Okay. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. It's like whatever way that you want to, you know, find your rest and find your center and your grounding in a garden that someone else is kind of tending and, and making available. And then for our hosts, you know, for the host gardens, one, we're, you know, we're hoping that this will give them an avenue to share their work. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, myself as a urban gardener, it's like the gardens that are in private spaces, I do want to share them. But yeah, you never can, get to. Yeah, you never get to. It can be difficult. You know, you're already spending a lot of time and money usually. Yeah maintaining this garden so we want for the for the gardeners who are hosting uh, we want to offer a way to share their space in a way that feels very wholesome and at the same time be able to earn a little bit of income in sharing the space and we are also providing the insurance for the whole transaction to happen that makes it easier nice we'll we'll come back to how to find out more about that soon but when are you launching that we're we're, uh, we're starting our beta test uh, this week. Okay. So we're gonna have one garden uh, available very soon. We're just waiting on some software things to get finished up, and then we're looking for we're looking for hosts. So if you have a garden at home that is you've spent a lot of time on that you'd like to share that feels healing for you, uh, you know, get in touch with me. And is this local or regional or national? We're going to start in L.A. Okay. Yeah, we're starting in L.A., anywhere in L.A., um, and then we'll hopefully be expanding. Expanding. Yeah. Cool. Very exciting. Well, it is tip time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite tip that you would like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? My tip, I guess, is that, one, you know, your, your garden could probably always use a little more compost than you think. <laughs> yes. <You know? laughs> always. I feel like uh, I, when I go out for consultations, you know, like people will be like, oh, I, you know, I spread one bag of compost on these three trees, oh, right. you know, and, uh, and, you know, the soil has not been cared for for the last 40 years. Yeah. Like it's compacted, it's dry. It's like, there's no, there's no organic matter. There's no nutrients in it. Like, so, you know, I have to tell them, no, it's not one bag for three trees or one bag for four trees. It's six bags per tree. <laughs> a lot of compost. Yeah. And that's not, you know, uh, I don't want people to go overboard either, but really like just to, what I want to share is that there's, especially in our urban areas or not even in our urban areas, but all over, I guess, like our soil has been neglected and abused for a long time a long time and it really takes a significant amount of care and a significant amount of food to bring that soil back to life so you know get as much compost and mulch and worm castings and you know these uh, micronutrients and uh, microbial inoculants like Mm -hmm. 
get it all in there in the beginning and it'll you'll do a huge service to your garden and to yourself yeah that's a great tip Thank you for sharing that tip, Rishi. <laughs> and thanks for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Where, how, how and where do people find you? Yeah, I have my own website, farmrishi.com. Uh, then my nonprofit's website, sarvodeinstitute.org. You can also go to upliftmentofall.org. That's easier to remember and pronounce. My yeah. Kiss the Ground course you can find at kisstheground.com. Is it .com or .org? It's .com. It's .com, yeah. okay. And uh, I'm on Instagram at farmerrishi. You can email me, <laughs> rishi at farmerrishi.com. And that's R-I-S-H-I. R-I-S-H-I. Yeah, awesome. All right, garden nerds. Uh, you'll find links to Sarvodaya Institute and Rishi's Kiss the Ground course at gardennerd.com this week. We'll also share Rishi's Instagram feed for your viewing pleasure. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!